0: Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1 with All Care Pharmacy. Need expert advice on your family's health? Speak to us today at All Care Pharmacy, Ireland's largest community pharmacy network.
1: My next guest has a very special job which gives her great insights into both life and death. And she's been a palliative care nurse with the Irish Cancer Society for 26 years. Now, Hilary Neville, good morning.
0: Good morning, Brendan.
1: And thanks for joining us today, Hilary. And look, I say it's a special job because anyone who's experienced uh that care that a nurse or a carer gives a, a loved one who's dying knows that you're kind of a special breed of people. Will you explain a bit about the job first of all? Who who are your patients?
0: My patients are anybody who's under the care of a palliative care team who is dying at home. So, you know, somewhere along the line a decision has been made that this patient would like to die at home and there's a team comes in around them. We're part of this multidisciplinary team. There'd be the home care team in the hospice, public health nurse as well. Kind of there's I know down in Limerick we have the community intervention team that would be involved, and then we are the nighttime end of it. The Irish Cancer Society provides a night nursing throughout the whole country. There's a about a, there's 181 night nurses
1: and will you tend to see people through those final days or weeks
0: we do yes we do like like quite often they've had involvement with the other teams for a longer period and then kind of the end of life is approaching and they're needing support at home and sometimes it's a little bit of respite that maybe they have a period where they're not sleeping terribly well kind of are struggling with pain so they put us in for a night or two kind of an, and medications are rejigged and you know their sleeping pattern improves and then again we could be in at the you know, the very last few days of somebody's life so yeah we go in at 11 at night and we finish at 7 in the morning.
1: And what is it like? It's a really special job it
0: uh, like uh, I absolutely love it and I know all of my colleagues that do really love it I think it's the sort of job that you find and you either love it and stay in it or you you don't love it and if you don't love it you you just don't stay in it you know you really don't I know people always say oh you're angels and we're absolutely not angels like we're a very mixed bag of nurses we do have two two men in, in the service as well but the majority are female all walks of life you know all different experiences that come to this job but i think it's a particular set of skills and i think it's a little bit of you know life experience under your belt as well before you go into it it's certainly not a job for a newly qualified nurse but you know kind of once you've some bit of life experience kind of and you're happy going into homes and you're you're on your own going in as well kind of so oh, it's what's a typical night like what are you doing i suppose we like we we have some typical types of nights kind of like i could go into a house and my patient could be asleep when i arrive and they could sleep all night and i sit beside them or maybe sometimes not even in the room. It might be that the wife is in bed with the with the husband who's the patient and I could be in the sitting room tipping in and out or they'd call me if they need me and then another night you could have the opposite end of the spectrum you could have somebody who's really really unwell really symptomatic kind of you know and we have we have a, a medical directive that we work from kind of so you'd be looking to reposition them for comfort and you know maybe sit them up kind of to aid their breathing and we'd have some medications we could give as well to ease symptoms like restlessness, breathlessness pain, anxiety you know, sometimes just chatting to somebody, sometimes just, you know, leaning in close to them, reassuring them, getting them to calm their own breathing down. So it, it the nights really, really vary. You know, some nights I'm on my own kind of with the patient and other nights then you could have a whole load of family members in the house as well that are looking to stay up and be around kind of and there'd be chats and conversations and all sorts of stimulation. So yeah, there's, you know, there are some typical types of nights yeah. kind of, but...
1: You just don't know till you get there. What Mm -hmm. tends to be on people's minds when when they're dying? Regrets or Um. do they suddenly see it all clearly or...?
0: like occasion i haven 't had huge conversations around regrets. Some people would like I know you know from reading kind of bits of research that you know, that the top five regrets that people have in life have been identified in the past, and it 's generally that people wish they'd lived lives truer to themselves or wish they hadn't worked so hard or wished that they had maybe stayed in touch with friends, kind of you know things like that. Usually by the time I'm going in at the end, kind of people aren't having those those conversations. I have had a few, all yeah. right. You know, I certainly have had a few, uh, mainly men that have said they wish they hadn't worked so hard, you know, and that their jobs hadn't been so important or so upper front kind of in their minds. But yeah, kind of I suppose it is, you know, kind of regrets around small things even kind of I wish I had, you know, taken more opportunities to do things rather than not done them. You know, kind of, yeah, people sometimes do, but kind of a lot of people are, by the time we go in, a lot of people are, are at peace most of the time.
1: So they're quite accepting.
0: Most of the time they are. Yeah, most of the time they are, I have to say. I think if somebody's had, you know, a long journey kind of with cancer and they've gone through a lot of treatments and you know, kind of then maybe reached a road where treatments are no longer possible and have had palliative care for quite a while and have managed to live as well as they can for as long as they can kind yeah. of that there's an acceptance then kind of. And a, a lot of them say, you know, when people choose to die at home, you know, they really say their end of life is to be to die where they want to die, which is at home with the people they want around them, which is their family.
1: Is that very important to people to be at home, what, what, if they can? Obviously. Yes. Yeah.
0: If they can, as they say, I think the, there's a survey that was I think it's the Irish Hospice Foundation did a survey a few years ago. And I think it was 74 percent of people questioned said they'd like to die at home. But only about twenty three percent managed to. Yeah. So yeah, it's a lower number kind of. And it's you know, it's not always possible kind of, but when it is, it's
1: it's great. You know, we talk about um a good death. Yes. Yeah. Do you see do you see that?
0: I do. Yeah.
1: yeah I yeah, I absolutely do.
0: Yeah, I do, you know, I feel it's back to what was said there, kind of, you know, to be at home, yeah. to be pain free, comfortable, you know, to have family around you. And just to be, yeah, I suppose to be supported, you know, to be supported for families, for for the patient to feel supported, as in their symptoms, you know, are looked after, and for them to feel that their family are supported and assisted as well, that makes a huge difference too. Yeah,
1: do pe- people care more about the other people when when they're towards the end themselves? Do uh, they? Quite, yeah, quite a
0: lot of the time. Yeah, yet. they worry about the ones they're leaving behind. They really, really do. Kind of, and we'd often say that sometimes we'd have a case where maybe somebody is. Lingering, for want of another word, you know, a little bit longer kind of and that maybe people have been sitting around them and there's, you know, shifts of people sitting there. And then, you know, sometimes we'd say maybe we'll go down to the kitchen and make a cup of tea and they slip away with nobody in the room. kind of, And we quite often say, you know, it happens the way it's supposed to happen, you know, and whether somebody has control over the minute they let go, I'm not really sure.
1: Because you do hear sometimes they say, oh, you know he held on until so and so came home from America or whatever does that really happen do you think
0: well do you know what we do see it and you know whether it can be explained as you know as, as logically as that I don't know but without a doubt We've all been in houses. These are the things that I wouldn't have believed until I started doing this work. But once I started doing it, without a doubt, we have seen people hang on an extra day because there's a son travelling from Australia or, you know, kind of waiting. Sometimes families are wondering, why are they waiting? Why are they waiting? And they might mention somebody's name and it could be a friend of theirs, a good friend. And they'd say, we invite him in to say goodbye. And it could be even that the patient is non-responsive. But once that patient makes
1: the person makes a visit, The patient slips away afterwards. Do you know um, from experience, I suppose, at this stage and medically anyway, do you know when death is becoming imminent?
0: You do. Yeah, you do. Like, you know, like, as I say, there are false alarms, too, kind of. And I say that to families, like when I'm sending families off to bed at night, we will always say to them, you know, if we see a change, we let you know. But absolutely, I have looked and read a change and made a decision to get a family up out of bed because I think death is about to happen And then a half an hour later, I'm packing them all off to bed again because things have changed a little bit again. But people would prefer to be called. You know, we'd always reassure them that we will call them. And then, well, if it doesn't play out, they can go back and lie down again or rest. And sometimes they'll stay up for a little while and sit beside us for a while and then maybe wander off again. And, you know, two hours later, we might have everybody up again, kind of. And then the death does happen. But, yeah, there are certain signs that we'd be looking for.
1: I've never um been in a room where a person has died, but people talk about it in very kind of uh reverent tones. It it sounds like an extraordinary moment, is it? I I think it is, yeah. I, I do think it is. I
0: think it's a real privilege and I know kind of we say that and people go, Oh privilege, kinda of, but it it is a privilege. I I felt when I qualified I thought I wanted to go off and do midwifery but I travelled a little bit and started a family then because I thought oh you know the joy of being there you know the excitement that special moment when a baby is born but while there's you know not joy kind of you know sort of when somebody dies there is sometimes a you know there's a peace there's the feeling that a job is done and it, and it is a, a pivotal moment kind of you know the start of a life and the end of a life they're both really really special I, I remember sitting beside a, a lady's bedside a good few years ago in Limerick and her husband came down in the middle of the night and you know he was checking in on her and you know, checked was I okay and would I like anything I said no I was fine and I left him alone for a while with her I just said to him would you like to sit for a while yes please and he you know, he sat in with her first and when I came back then to kind of take over and offered for him to go back to bed again, he stood up and he looked back and he says to me, You're very privileged. And I said to him, Oh, you know, I I, I know I'm really privileged to do this job. And he said, No, you're very privileged to be taking care of my wife. You know, and he absolutely meant it. And you know, I, I said I looked back at him and I said, I know, you know, I know, and I do feel yeah, that. Yeah. You know, it still blows me away after all these years that strangers open their doors to us, you know. And then go off to bed and leave us with, you know, the yeah, most precious yeah, person yeah, in their life,
1: yeah. and they've never seen us before at such an intimate time yeah. and everything. When which can, I think a lot of people feel it's a very private time time for a family don't they but they let you in yeah, yeah yeah
0: they do you know they let us in kind of and they trust us with the care of their family member and like the first night it's, you know there's always a handover period you arrive in you introduce yourself I always say the first night we come in the front door they're fully dressed you know we're dressed and you know we have a handover time and a chat the second night we quite often let ourselves in the door and they're in their pyjamas and they're like good night and they go okay. off to bed Kind you know, it's, it's established that they're happy we've taken care of the family member and you know and and their rest is so important. You know, to try and get a little bit of sleep at a difficult time is hugely
1: important. It just helps the whole coping mechanism. What happens after the person dies then, or what do you advise people to do at that stage?
0: Like one of the first things we say is try not to make any phone calls. You know, kinda because of, once you make that first phone call, you know, you've lost control of where okay. the news will go. You know, so kind of we'd usually say to families in advance, like, you know, we we bring them down, they're in the room, they're around, kind of quite often we'll back out back away a little bit as well because Once the patient is comfortable, we're not really needed. It's just to back away. Some families appreciate you being in the room, but others we just fade out of the room and then you can kind of tell, you hear crying and you know that kind of the the patient has gone or you go back in and confirm that, yes, they have slipped away. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we usually say, take your time. There's no rush and there is no rush, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of. there's Take some time there, be with them, kind of. Sometimes I'd even say, you know, if all the family are around, Mm -hmm. after a while I might just beckon the children out or say to the husband or the wife, Would you like a little bit of one-on-one time there, time alone with them? And a lot of them will say, yes, you know, we'd come away and close the door. And that's nice, kind of like I've had a lady, you know, quite an elderly lady. She came back down to the kitchen. She says, do you know what? She says, I actually got in beside him and put my arms around Ah, him, you know. She says to me, is that all right? I said, of course it is. You know, you're at home, you're in your own house. You can do
1: what you want. You're smiling and you're very upbeat about it. I'm, I'm nearly crying here. Is, <laughs> is, is it, is it very sad though, or do you have to find somewhere to put that sadness? Like it.
0: it- It is. Of course, it's sad. You know, it's sad within a family. And I have cried in houses. I, you know, I I don't mind admitting I have cried in houses. I haven't been seen crying probably because the family don't really notice us at a time like that. It's their moment. But yeah, I have cried in houses and it it does make me sad kind of. And, and, you know, I've come away. Sometimes I might ring one of my colleagues kind of like those other nurses that we'd know would be on duty. We keep in touch with WhatsApp and sometimes we chat on the way home. Or I'd get in and I'd hand over to the home care team, you know, just to let them know what's happened. And it's Milford Hospice that we work with most of the time, kind of down around Limerick, Clare, and North Tip. And they are so good to us; they're a really supportive team to us, the night nurses. We we value them, and they value us, kind of. And they're very patient. They'll sit on the phone and if they know we'd have a lot of the girls' private private numbers, and they'll hear us out, and we can talk it out. Yeah, and
1: so you understand. And each I other also
0: offload on my husband and. You yeah, have friends from R- time to really, time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when you get home and you tell the story, you feel the release of it and I can go and sleep. So I leave him sitting at the kitchen table then.
1: That's nice to you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, apart from the sad moment, uh, there are moments of great beauty too, I think. Was there one particular priest that you were with. Would you tell me about him? Yes,
0: there was. Actually, I don't know if I get through this without crying. It always makes me cry. It was years ago and it was um, a priest who, you know, obviously a single man kind of and he was living in a community and I was taken in at night and taken into his room and his whole world was in this room kind of, you know, his bed, his desk, his bathroom kind of, this was, you know, his home essentially. And the first night I was there, he was, you know, awake and alert and he was able to talk to me and we would little conversations and he some pain and I, I settled him, gave him something for pain and he slept all night. And the second night when I went back in and, and the, the system was that I came to a door, knocked on the door, I was at... You know, admitted by another priest who just walked me to the room, kind of, and left me to do my job. And the second night when I looked in, I could see he'd massively deteriorated, kind of. And I thought, oh, you know, this could be the night. And I stuck my head back out the door and called the other priest. And I said to him, Excuse me. I said, If he dies, like, where do I go or who do I tell? And he kind of hesitated. And he said, I suppose you could come down and knock on my door. Now, he also, I did have a phone number of um, a secretary who had you know, worked within the parish with him, kind of. And okay. I was to ring her. I knew that, but I knew she was no loved
1: one as such.
0: He, he was very elderly and his no. sister had visited two days beforehand and wouldn't be making the return journey. So there wasn't going to be a blood relative there. But, you know, kind of th- th- there was this secretary that I knew I had to contact and the other priest said... At around half two in the morning, I could just see the big change coming. I knew he was going, kind of. And I bolted down the the corridor, you know, rapped on the door, kind of, you know, made sure I was heard and called in and flew back up to be beside him. And as I was sitting beside him, I thought, God, there's nobody coming. You know, there's there's nobody here. And I remember looking, thinking all the great work he's done, you know, all. Oh, this is terrible, kind of. And I was talking to him and whispering in his ear, kind of, you know, and I, I said a little prayer and suddenly the door opened. And the community came in and there was a range of ages and they came in and they pulled out the bed from the wall and they got down on their knees and they put their hands underneath them. And they prayed and they sang and it was just, ah, yeah. it was amazing. yeah, It was absolutely amazing. Like they raised him up. They absolutely raised him up and offered him up. And I was a mess. I'm sure they thought, who is the lunatic at the end of the <laughs> She's bed? <not> <laughs> I was snivelling. I was dripping. I was everything. But it was just, it was one of the most beautiful deaths I've ever, ever witnessed. And in the meantime, his secretary arrived in with her children. He'd been involved in their lives. She'd been a widow. He'd been a really strong presence in their lives. They were heartbroken. You know, they helped me lay him out. We we just had a lovely, you know, hour or so in the room, kind of. And then by the time we were leaving the room with them all set up, we went down to the kitchen in, in this, you know, in this building. And the priest had cooked up this huge big breakfast. And we sat around this huge big table and they talked about him and told stories about him and, you know, laughed and told his little, you know, kind of... Funny ways, and we just—it was just the most gorgeous. It was like a wake, yeah, you know, yeah. kind of that I was just privileged to be part of.
1: They know how to live, don't they? Yeah, yeah that's um, lovely. Have you nursed the children who are dying? That must be. I have. Very hard, is it? Yeah,
0: I have. It's really. Yeah, it's just so sad, so sad. I, 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 think all of us struggle, you know, going in where there's children and children and young parents are the ones that absolutely, yeah get me every single time, it just shouldn't happen. And I always say for a young parent, you know, to close their eyes and let go when they know their job isn't done. It's just so hard. It really is. Yeah, Yeah. they absolutely break your heart. They really do. And like quite often, parents are so involved and so capable, kind of, you know, we're supporting them in a a palliative care way around meds, but they're so up on what needs to be done and what to do, kind of. You know, they quite often sleep in with the child. So we're popping in and out and looking in. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And do the children know?
0: Uh, Some do. Yes, some do kind of, you know, sort of the older age group do and and, and sometimes kind of maybe a child who's been sick for quite a long time and has lived with real illness for a long time will have will have an idea as well. Yes, some families, you know, kind of really go there and have the conversation kind of and others not so much, but it's generally like with adults, we'd be one on one you know that you'd have those conversations yeah. around death acceptance dying you know kind of how they feel with children there's nearly always somebody else with them
1: yeah yeah um i'd say <clears throat> i'd say you definitely have to have a conversation with your husband when you come home after a child yeah, yeah. is so yeah. How, how does life work at home so you're out all night. Is he heading out when you come home then? Well he's
0: retired now, so no. So he's okay. he's around now kinda of. but yeah, it used to be a bit like that sort of you know, ships that crossed at night when the children were smaller you know I maybe only did weekends you know so he'd be there during the day kind of and around then as the kids were bigger and got into school you know I could sleep when they were in school kind of I could do a bit more so yeah I'd head home he'd head out he worked very near our house anyway so he was only 10 minutes away from work so yeah we would have passed in and passed out like that kind of and you know it, it the job was very flexible as well kind of like I didn't work over the summer holidays I didn't work over the Easter holidays kind of that it has that sort of flexibility we give our availability and then we're booked so you know it's suited our house kind of you yeah. don't work on a rota yeah but now i have the freedom of i've only one left at home now uh, he's 17 and now i have the freedom of you know kind of i can go in take on a case and stay with it which is really nice whereas when the children were smaller my husband traveled a okay. bit i might only be able to do two nights this week and then might be not be able to work for a fortnight. But, you know, that flexibility really suited our house. That's, you know, probably Mm. part of, well, I stayed in it because I just loved it anyway. What do you get out of
1: it, Hilary? I get
0: I suppose a satisfaction like I, I, I feel it goes back to the nursing that I trained to do, which is around, you know, kind of like when I was a student nurse, was, you were by the bedside a lot. It was about, you know, bed bathing people, talking to people. You had time to talk to people kind of as a as a student nurse, you know, you made sure they had drinks at their readiness or you assisted them with meals. You were by the bedside a lot. And that's what I loved about it. You know, the actual patient care And now, you know, hospitals are busy now, kind of, you know, sort of staff are under stress, kind of. It's a different system now, kind of. And, you know, there's more care assistants on the ward, whereas when I trained, it was the student nurses were the, you know, the care assistants essentially, Mm. kind of. You were learning on your feet. And I love that I can go into a house now, kind of, and the patient wakes at two o'clock in the morning and fancies having a shower and they're fit enough to get up and go to the shower. I can do that with them. Yeah. You know, or, or kind of if they wake at five and they feel a bit hot and sweaty and there's a family member around, we can wash them and change bed sheets and do all that sort of thing, you know, kind of or just even being able to sit in beside somebody and allow somebody else to rest. You know, there's, there's a feel yeah. good factor in that kind of even if the patient has slept all night, the family member sleeps well, knowing that you're there if they wake.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, sometimes yeah. I could spend a few hours reading a book you know, kind of yeah. or watching something on Netflix on my, on my iPad, kind of. I'm not doing a whole load of physical work, but your presence
1: there yeah,
0: means yeah.
1: means a lot. Uh, Hilary, will we give a shout out to Daffodil Day? It's coming up next month.
0: We will indeed. Yeah, Daffodil Day is the 22nd of March and it is a huge fundraiser for the Irish Cancer Society. It really does. Uh, this year's theme is to go all in against cancer and we are all in. To absolutely get the best results. The funds, we get about 5% funding from the government. So the rest comes from the public and the public are just okay. amazing. Okay. They do and, so and, much.
1: And so are you, Hilary. Hilary Neville-Night Nurse, thank you very much. We'll take a break.